up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to reach tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing stranger the planet Krypton. The Man of Steel. Who are you? A friend. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's, it's... Superman. 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 This looks like a job for Superman. Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Hello, welcome to Superman Forever Radio. This is episode 57. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and this is the first installment of Superman Forever Goes to the Movies Month which will be throughout the month of February, and it's actually inaccurately titled, but Superman Forever pops a DVD into the player, doesn't have quite the same ring. So this time around, I am doing a full-length commentary for the direct-to-DVD animated movie Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Um, Now, commentaries are done on podcasts for several reasons. One, the content is good, so you want to talk about it. It's easier to just watch and kind of go along with it than talk about scene by scene by scene. Uh, Two, a lot of times it's kind of the quick fix. In some cases, like, oh, well, we got a gap here. Throw a commentary in there. Um, Sometimes it's just kind of a a side event. Um, This one's a little bit of a combination of several things. These were some movies I wanted to put on the docket to talk about, and commentary seemed like a natural way to cover it. As for the timing, since I have a lot of things coming down the pike, a lot of guests to coordinate with, I wanted to do something that would give me kind of a lead time again. Since I ate most of mine up, I'm really, really good at eating lead time. But, uh, so I wanted to do some episodes to kind of get caught up, give myself a little bit of a cushion to really just knock it out of the park with some of the material I'll be covering, especially, uh, specifically this summer. But, um, kind of watching this, you know, in the animated styles that we're going to be looking at through these next four movies, which... Beginning this week is Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. As mentioned, next week we're kind of take that duology with Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. Week after that, All-Star Superman. And then we'll wrap it up with Superman versus the Elite. So that will kind of comprise February. And then in March we'll kind of resume with some character studies, things like that, like Jimmy Olsen is on the list, Perry White and the Daily Planet, some villains, things like that. Before counting down to the summer where I'm going to crack out some really great material like Kingdom Come, which is going to have special guests, which I'm really looking forward to finally getting to really talk about that and dive into that material. But as for our movie, what I am going to ask you to do to kind of set this up, because most of my notes I want to do within the movie, within the context, is uh, you know pull out your DVD, go through the myriad of trailers at the beginning, which there's a ton of before you even get to the menu. You can fast forward through all of them. When you come to the menu, you'll hit play movie. Here's the trick to this, to cue this up correctly, because when you hit play movie, it's going to count down. It's going to show the rating as PG-13. It's going to play down for about, 
I believe it's about 12 seconds. And then it's going to boot up to the next title, which starts at 0000. That's where we're actually going to pick up where the movie actually begins. At 0000 on the, on the movie proper. Which I discovered when putting it in here, so I wanted to let you know that. Um, one other note is I am not going to be running a track with the content underneath this. So it's in a lot of DVD commentaries, you'll hear the movie in the background so you can kind of follow along. I found that that's been kind of frustrating for me, and I'm trying to basically make the podcast I'd want to listen to. A lot of times I like the content that the people are talking about or the person or what have you, but I, I get a little anal and I keep trying to line it up directly with the content of the movie in the background that I'm hearing. It's not always going to be successful. So I'm actually, it's just going to be me. And it also helps to make this a little bit more standalone. So if you are listening to this, you know, at work or driving around in the car, you are going to get, well, just me talking about the movie. And since I have a lot of really general notes throughout, we are kind of in good shape in that front. Um, going into this, I did pull up the first six issues of Superman Batman, which comprised this story, um, and I'm going to be doing some comparisons through here. So I did do some work. It's not like I'm just showing up and watching a movie in my pajamas. Actually, I'm fully dressed, so no pajamas at all. That would have been a good idea. I may switch into some lounge pants here on the break. But with that, uh, cue your DVD up to 0000. Have that ready in the player. I'm going to take a quick break do a quick promo and when we come back i'm going to do a countdown from five and then we will jump into superman batman public enemies hello boys and girls it's your dear old uncle joker we've got an internet access here in arkham so i'm doing a little browsing hmm low cats low cats porn Lol cats. What's this? Bailey's Batman Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast devoted to everything Dark Knight Detective. Well, Michael Bailey, where's Bailey's Joker Podcast, eh? We'll see about that. Harley, get our things. We're going to Georgia. <laughs> Hey everyone, Michael Bailey here asking you to check out my bi-weekly internet radio show, Bailey's Batman Podcast, or at least I'm asking you to check it out while you still can, until the Joker shows up on my doorstep. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a hodgepodge-type show where I discuss all aspects of the Dark Knight's history. Comics, movies, animation, even trading cards and action figures. Everything Batman-related is fair game, and yes, that does include the villains, which includes the Joker so he won't kill me. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.baileysbatmanpodcast.com. The site also has links to the iTunes page, the RSS feed, my Twitter handle if you're into the social media thing, and the Bailey's Batman Podcast Facebook page. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Connection, which you can find at batmanpodcastconnection.wordpress.com. I really hope that's the UPS guy. Why can't I have Batman in my basement? Can you imagine 
having Batman in your basement. I don't know that he would be a great house guest. He'd probably take over the place. But that was a promo for Bailey's Batman podcast where Mike Bailey has done several commentaries. Uh, He did one for the original 1989 Batman by himself. He and Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics did one for Batman Returns. And then there is one for Batman Forever, all of which are excellent and highly recommended. Really, the 1989 commentary took me way back. So well done, Michael Bailey. But as for our commentary, as I mentioned, we're going to want our DVD queued up to 0000 on the movie proper after the uh, ratings page. And then I'll count down from five, from five to one. When I hit, when I say go, we all hit play. So without further ado, five, four, three, two, one, go. And we are greeted with a black screen and the Warner Premiere logo. Which is sad to say we won't be seeing too much longer. As far as I know, they are still on tap for Flashpoint after Superman Unbound later this summer. Not sure what the future of the DC direct-to-DVD animated movies are, but I love this Warner Brothers animation. I really do. <laughs> the logo. Um, not the way the issue began. And... When talking about Superman Batman, you really got to point out that really it came about because Jeff Loeb had done an excellent job revitalizing Superman with Ed McGinnis in Superman's own title, as well as making a really definitive run on Batman with Superman uh, with uh, pardon me with Batman Hush. So to do a Superman Batman team up title was kind of a no brainer at that point. And Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis were right on par for that. Um, they didn't call it World's Finest. But they did go ahead and call it Superman Batman, technically. What it actually, the title will show, is that symbol, the bat symbol, with Superman symbol within it. But I like how they are setting up that we are in a time of President Luthor. Because, <laughs> that's awesome. But, uh, you know, that was clearly set up in the comics with continuity. That was a big part of the continuity at the time. With an animated movie, a little bit different. So, we get this opening... That wasn't in any way, shape, or form in the book. Because the book actually opened, really, with Superman flying into action. In a scene that's actually omitted from this. For good reason, actually. There were a lot of subplots that were removed from this, and probably needed to be. And yet some that I really, really do miss as we get further into this. Clancy Brown back. Oh, this movie... Bringing back Clancy Brown, bringing back Tim Daly as Superman, Kevin Conroy as Batman. It was getting the band back together, man. I was. This was probably one of the movies I was most excited about. And this had followed up, you know, Superman Doomsday, which was huge. Justice League New Frontier. Um, we'd had, I think Green Lantern and Wonder Woman were about to come out. But we'd had Gotham Knight, Batman Gotham Knight, which is my least favorite of the animated original DVDs. Just to be honest. Uh, but Kevin Conroy had returned to Batman in this. This was getting Clancy Brown back. Tim Daly back. I was psyched. And this ended up being hugely successful. And actually, if you look at the cast. The cast itself is just as solid as it can be. See, we got Kevin Conroy. These title sequences... The music I like, but the title sequences were a bit bothersome and take just a little bit longer. And if you listen to that music, you'll recognize it from Two True Freaks, 
promos. And I believe I used it on one of the older... Okay, Corey Burton. I'm going to stop right there. There was Corey Burton, John C. McGinley, Allison Mack. But to kind of get back on on track, I'm going to talk a little bit more about those a little bit. Um, the music to this is fantastic. It's just, at this point in the t- uh, the uh, credits, I'm like, okay, are we done yet? So music doesn't necessarily make the credits, but it was very much like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies, where the credits took forever. And I'm like, let's just dive into the story. And, of course, this is... Not quite that long. I don't feel like I need to collect Social Security by the time it's done. Don't get me wrong, the uh, the designs are cool looking. But a lot of this could have waited until the, the end of the movie. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Depending on who you ask. I should probably mention some of the credits here since they, they are in front of me. I'm just waiting for the movie to start to actually really kick into what I'm talking about. Here we go. Actually, I'm quite surprised. This is one hour, seven minutes. Normally, they aim for the 90-minute mark. Because Bruce Tim said that there's some mathematical equation. So, Sam Liu directed this. Sam Liu, you may also know from Batman Year One. Um, he also did Crisis on Two Earths and Hulk Versus. Now, this scene is... Resembles, I guess would be a better way to say it, how the comic actually opened. And, you know, Ed McGinnis's clean, bulky style really does lend itself to animation in a way that Michael Turner's won't. Now, in the original comic, Superman does show up to thwart a Metallo break-in at Star Labs. Metallo was a much, well, not a much bigger part, was a slightly bigger element in the comic than what we see here in the movie. And we kind of have a Metropolis that looks a little bit like Superman the Animated Series. I love that music. Christopher Drake really outdid himself with this one. He goes back to kind of... It kind of cannibalizes this one a lot in some of his themes. This one worked, but... Captain Adam is Xander Berkeley. Um, probably the most recognizable thing recently he's done was he was the stepfather in Taken. And uh, there's Power Girl and her ample bosom. But yeah, the car chase had nothing to do with it yet. Clever as can be. Clever as can be, I really do enjoy this scene. Love hearing Tim Daly's voice back in that. Really brings it back. And Superman's not going to admit that. There was a lot of criticism of Lex Luthor being president because a lot of the thought process was, well, Superman can't fight the president of the United States. And that's exactly my defense. It really added this level of, oh, lens flare, level of untouchability to the villain. And I thought that was really cool because Superman was forced to shake hands and smile in public. And that isn't an easy thing to do with your arch nemesis. But once again, we're kind of setting up the world that comic fans would have been reading and knowing, you know, coming into this as somebody who had read the book as it was coming out. And a lot of people read Superman, Batman. That was one of those 
extremely hot, hot books as they came out. They did some great covers on that. I have somewhere an Ed McGinnis Dexter Vines print from the cover of issue three, I believe. So a lot of good effects in these movies. The animation really was stepped up. Not quite to like Disney quality, but this isn't something you would see on Saturday morning. They probably have to cover Power Girl up or make her proportionate. I don't know how many times I can say this. Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor makes me happy. Now we're kind of back into where the comic began, and we have Amanda Waller in her largeness, rather than the slimmed-down version that we would see with Angela Bassett or in the comics now that seems to be causing a lot of, not controversy, but a lot of uh, unrest in the fan communities. Missiles. You know, if Batman was dealing with it, he'd throw a batarang at it. Actually, that's ironic, considering where this is going to go, so. I'm trying to remember who voiced Amanda Waller. Bear with me. CCH Pounder, yes! She was on The Shield, which was an excellent show if you like to feel guilty about yourself. Wait, she was an Avatar? Really? The things you learn when you're, you're doing stuff on the fly. Uh, I just love the subtleties that Clancy Brown brings. Not only does he have just a great voice on a general basis, but he knows how to use a great voice. I'm going to smack that woman later. Um, I don't condone smacking women. It's a joke. I'm not up to anything. How many presidents have a holographic statue of themselves? That should have been a red flag right there. How much money went into that? Excuse me, you're going to probably hear me taking sips of my water. Normally I do that on breaks, but uh, there's no editing in this. It's all it's all in. <laughs> yeah. I love how McGinnis's Batman design came through perfectly on this. I would actually argue that he translated a little bit better than Superman. But McGinnis did something with Superman. He gave him a squint, which is more of a Captain Marvel thing, which is probably why I liked it. And how could I not like this storyline in this movie? Captain Marvel and Superman actually go toe-to-toe a little bit. Now here's where we kind of have another deviation, as they're... Well, this actually happened later, because we have things out of sequence. So I stand corrected. That's a note for later, apparently. And here's a different version. Superman didn't meet with Luthor in this same way in the pre- in the uh, comic. There, this meeting never happened. But what the meeting leads to actually was a part of it. So they've actually found a way to go around the opening and reduce Metallo's screen time and his impact to the story. Because Metallo was actually not a big part of it, but a relevant part of it. Oh, I guess that's a spoiler. Well, hopefully you've seen this before if you owned it on DVD. I would like to think that the first time you watch this isn't with a commentary. Look at the detail they did, the, the cape waving in the breeze. 
and I know, I know most viewers, casual viewers of the movie wouldn't really jump on that, but I'm looking at this critically and looking at just the next, next level of animation. Oh, he's feeling weak. Ah, uh, it's on now. Good way to bring Metallo in. And the voice of Metallo is Mr. John C. McGinley, who you will know from Scrubs as Dr. Perry Cox. You might also know him from Office Space as one of the Bobs, who celebrates Michael Bolton's entire catalog. He's a welcome presence on any project. It could be, you know, a snuff film, and if he's voicing it, I'm good. That may be a bit much. But it's also nice to throw a, a, a character that can act as a heavy, as a a bit of a punching bag, and go toe-to-toe with Superman here at the beginning, because there is another ca- uh, mathematical equation, and I wish I remembered the details of, if you're doing an action-based story, every so many minutes you'll have an action beat. And once again, they're doing a great job of... Uh, peeling away Metallo. The the Ed McGinnis art actually had the flesh hanging off of him. Here, they're like, we've got two designs. And this is very similar to the design they will later use in Justice League Doom. Now, they don't explain this here, but Metallo can shapeshift thanks to the Brainiac 13 virus, which isn't going to be referenced. Another big, heavy piece of continuity that they wisely avoided. Since you got to think that even with the PG-13 rating, you're going to be looking at people who don't steep themselves in the mythology, don't steep themselves in the material. They just want to see a cool Superman-Batman movie. And here we segue to a graveyard. Now, in the comics, Superman fights Metallo at Star Labs, and then Batman is at a graveyard doing an investigation of a grave robbery. I think that might push it past the PG-13 rating, or right at it, because they did do something with that in Justice League Doom. But that's where this scene actually picks up, is Superman approaches Batman, and then it kind of progresses from there. He's going to bring some information. And this fight was... Fairly understated, but we've had two decent action sequences so far in this. And the thing I like about the PG-13 rating is... You don't have to hold back as much. You're not dealing with standards and practices. Where they have these little intricacies. You know, he can hold... You know, for example, he's holding Superman by the throat. He can only do that for 2.2 seconds. And Batman threw a batarang at it. Because that's how Batman rolls. You got a problem? Throw a battering at it. You must whip it. Oh, I wish they hadn't I wish I could rewind. I want to see what's on the tombstones. And I don't know if I mentioned this I haven't mentioned this yet. This was one of the this is the only uh direct to DVD animated original that actually had a line of action figures to support it. So this was actually very much hyped. Very much an event. And the Kryptonite Bullet. That actually was from the comic. He 
did get shot with a kryptonite bullet. It's also repeated in Justice League Doom. Ah, Metallo, we hardly knew ya. He's gonna... I didn't know Metallo was the Borg. Here lies Stu... I don't... Ah, dang it. This dialogue, where's the flash where you need him, lose a sense of humor, buy one... Directly from the book. And... Now we're buried. Now we're buried alive, which is one of... I'm not good with that. I'm terrified of being buried alive. I have nightmares about it, so... (laughs) Not cool. Not cool. Um, should we talk about the logic of building a cemetery over a sewer system? Um, I know if that was the case, wouldn't they do the sort of mausoleum type thing? Uh Uh-oh. This scene, not in the book. Yet here we're kind of catching up. They really did do a good job of deciding how much of the material to remain absolutely faithful to and how much to omit. Because as I mentioned, we're kind of dealing with two audiences. There's an audience like me who read the book, who was kind of aware of the of the continuity at the time, the presidency, the way that this relationship between Batman and Superman works. And then there are people who 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 haven't read the books in a long, long time, who lapsed maybe in the 90s and didn't see the early 2000s when Lex became president, when Brainiac 13 was around. So they did a good job of doing the right winks and then kind of taking the core of the story and streamlining the story even um, to, good and bad, to good and bad effect, which is more towards the third act. Uh, we're looking at a, a bad bromance right here. Magpie. A reference to Man of Steel. And Magpie did die. So, Man of Steel, this is uh, the Superman and Batman's first meeting involved a villainess called Magpie. Once again, another wink to the continuity without being heavy-handed. They put it in there with some casual conversation. Then still, this is how I roll. I crap steal for breakfast, Batman. Here it goes. I'm just looking at IMDb. There was a tombstone I was trying to read. Here lies Stu Deo Adelaide, 1996 to 2008. Not sure what that is a reference to. Alfred ain't messing around. And here is, we're still kind of online with the 
with the book itself, except Superman had to ask him to put the lid on it. Yeah. I'm sure Lois appreciates a lot of things. And here's a deviation again. Excuse me. And the frame-up job wasn't really a part of the plot in the book. In fact, here they omit a, a scene that was both relevant and irrelevant. Because it actually plays with a B-plot. At this point in the book, the future Superman wearing a Kingdom Come-style costume shows up, tries to kill Bruce and, and Clark, fails, and then disappears saying, Oh, you have to change the future. The meteor. The meteor. But they're kind of skipping, skipping to the point. Oh, it's a frame-up job. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The neat thing is, with with this movie, a lot of the voiceover work was actually done in the same room, according to IMDb. And I think that actually does come through, because the way Kevin Conroy and, and Tim Daly play off of each other is fantastic. Oh, come on, do it. Do it, Lex. One billion dollars. Once again, president of the, of the uh, statue of the president. That's a little awkward. I think the last time we saw that was uh, Caesar. I know we have like the Lincoln Memorial, but Lincoln's been dead for a while. That was done after the fact. And here's where the X-Men show up to tell them about what happened at Alkali Lake. Oh, wait, I'm crossing my universes. Oh, yeah. Luthor's going to juice it up. Oh, let's hope this doesn't go Bill Clinton style. Oh, yeah. Allison Mack. Allison Mack is voicing Power Girl, who, of course, was Chloe Sullivan on Smallville. Which is a little bit of stunt casting, but at the same time, as far as Allison Mack goes, it's a paycheck. Power Girl looks fantastic. I mean, I, I I say that in all seriousness. I really do like her costume. Because white's not something prevalent in superhero costumes. Not successfully, anyway. But you're combining white, red, and blue, and it looks really good. And it pops in the animation. Once again, a uh, scene not really in the book in this context, but works. And somehow Star Labs went from being in the city to outside the city. Of course, there's Star Labs everywhere. It's like a McDonald's or a Walmart. It's one on every corner. 
<laughs> Batman wouldn't understand. He's never been in a committed relationship. I'm sorry, I I had burritos for lunch, Superman. I, it happens. Well, I don't think you understand. He who smelt it, dealt it, Clark. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm hoping that line synced up with the, now I, even I can smell it. Um, I'm going to throw a question in here about Superman's vision being, heat vision being radioactive. Shouldn't it be, to some extent? He He's blasting heat from his eyes, I get that. And they played with the idea, originally, that the heat was off of his x-ray vision. I'm no science whiz, I'm just hoping somebody, oh, what was that? This skips way ahead, because at this point, we jumped a couple of issues to this fight. So they really just kind of condensed and folded it like a mad fold-in. So here we have Silver Banshee, who got her own action figure in the Superman-Batman Public Enemies action figure line. That was actually an offshoot. They had two versions of the line. One was an offshoot of the DC Universe Classics line, just done in the animated style. And so we have Mr. Freeze, Killer Frost, Captain Cold... They group them a little bit differently, but logically. Oh, it's Icicle, okay. And see, they don't really identify the villains, which is fine. They don't need to. You just need to know that they're bad. They shoot ice, or they scream. But I actually have, out of the whole line, the only figure I... Oh, sorry. The only figure I bothered to get was the Silver Banshee because it's the only Silver Banshee figure that's been made. And the thing is, she drives me crazy because she does not want to stand up. So I have to prop her up against the wall. I think of these things. I think of all kinds of villains. So here we have Mongol and Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy... Actually, Mongol, let me start there. Mongol is actually voiced by Bruce Timm himself. Which is kind of cool, but... Mongol is Bruce Timm. Solomon Grundy is Corey Burton, who did... Brainiac in Superman the Animated Series. And apparently this guy can morph his voice like no other, because he's going to play another character in this movie. Yeah, here I can hear a little bit more Corey Burton. And yes, I keep gas under my cowl just in case. So, how does Batman take off the cowl? 
yeah, Grundy, born on a Monday. Oh, I forgot about that. Now, that, with Lady Shiva, once again, you don't have to know who these people are, but if you do, it enriches the experience, because Lady Shiva helped train Robin and became a thorn in Batman's side, kind of helped train Batman himself. Yeah, but they do some all kinds of ninja chick stuff. Rachel McFarland did the voice of Shiva, who you may you probably know more from Nightshade. I still like Nightshade's costume, I'm sorry. But she's actually Rachel McFarland was from Family Guy. And I, ironically, pardon me if I can stop stuttering, she actually does the voice of Nightshade. So in one scene, she's almost sharing a screen with herself. And of course we have Gorilla Grodd. We gotta have Gorilla Grodd. It's not a supervillain throwdown unless Grodd's invited. I pity the fool that doesn't invite Grodd to a supervillain throwdown. There's a lot of characters being thrown at us. I'm trying to remember... Because Grodd is voiced by somebody. Well, yeah, obviously he's voiced by somebody, and I'm kind of vamping here as I look it up. Ah, Brian George. I've seen this guy before, but I can't really place him. Oh, he's in Ghost World? Okay. Is that Brimstone? Can I get a Brimstone action figure? You sure can. Brimstone was the Build-A-Figure. And man, does Deadshot not look awesome. I'll be honest, there are, I mean, I know Shark there, but Killer Shark. Nice one. Your funeral already had one. There are villains in this lineup that even I don't recognize, and I, I consider myself fairly steeped in DC. I mean, we got Black Manta, there's Copperhead. I don't know this guy. Is that supposed to be Bronze Tiger? And Bane, of course. Boop boopy doop Bane I will break you Oh Why didn't we get Dolph Lundgren as Bane? Yeah, Deadshot did all of Jack Squat and Giganta, voiced by Andrea Romano herself, who is the casting director for I believe all of the DC Universe directed DVD animated movies and most of the DCAU proper shows, like Justice League Unlimited. Captain Adam in the hizzy. He makes an entrance, dude. I like Xander Berkeley's version of Captain Adam because he's... Berkeley is a middle-aged actor. So he's not a young whippersnapper. And I think that adds a lot of, of a distinguished quality to Captain Adam that is appropriate. I've been juicing up all night. Here we go. What I'm looking up now is exactly who was in the Superman, Batman, Public Enemies action figure line. As I was kind of 
got way off track on that. There were two versions. One was the um, offshoot of the uh, six-inch scale DC Universe Classics. And then you had the DC Infinite Heroes, which is the three and three-quarter scale with less less articulation. In the DC Universe Classics version, which had the Brimstone Builder figure, you had, of course, Batman and Superman. You had an Icicle figure. Huh? A Silver Banshee. Black Lightning, who's voiced by LeVar Burton, by the way, and Major Force. wonder if Superman felt dramatic being able to say that. <laughs> you piece of... You know, all I'm going to say is, if, if Major Force is on your team, you may not be on the right team. The dude stuffs women in refrigerators, and I'm not even going to start that discussion. Let the joke sit there, okay? <laughs> I don't want emails. Because, let's be honest, it, I could talk for quite a bit about females in comics, and diversity in comics, really. But I'm not. I'm here to talk about a movie, and the things extending from the movie. Um, I just had it pulled up. Here we go. There were lim- uh, less figures for in the three and three quarters scale. Uh, it was actually an action figure set where you had Superman and Batman. You had a Hawkman, Major Force, Gorilla Grodd, and then President Luthor. That seems appropriate. That makes sense. Because most of those characters are intrinsic to this story. Icicle, we've already seen all of Icicle's participation. Black Lightning really doesn't do a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah, Major Force, he's a good guy. Uh, They also had a three-pack that had a Superman and a Power Girl, and then an Armored Lex Luthor, which is the same Armored Lex Luthor. Sorry about that. I keep bumping the mic. It's the same Armored Lex Luthor I have over here that was part of the Battle for Metropolis playset. I'm sorry, kids. You just... Don't mess with Superman. Yes, that's right. Let's separate her from the from the others and get the one person we can probably rely on away. Hey, Captain Adam and friends, you just got your butts handed to you by the Man of Steel. I did all the calculations myself. That's what I want to hear. I really wish Captain Adam had been given... I mean, he's given a pretty good presence here. But in the in the actual six issues that comprise the, the comic book, Captain Adam was a much more central character. And this... Ended up being really... Well, see, yeah, there's a red flag. We should have killed him. Thanks, Major Force. But, uh, yeah, Captain Adam was a pivotal character in, this, in the original story. Um, which I'm going to, once again, I'm going to talk about more in the third act, but... And Alex and Mac, you wouldn't necessarily have 
recognized it was Allison Mack if it hadn't been plastered everywhere. I think he's looking at my cleavage. We're all looking at your cleavage, Kara. Karen, sorry. There we go. That's what I was looking up. I wanted to do the comparison for the Battle of Metropolis to the... uh, uh, What am I trying to say? To the uh, Superman Batman Public Enemies version, it's a, it's pretty much the same Luthor. The battle for Metropolis, which was part of the three and three quarter scale Infinite Heroes, what is Starfire doing here? That's something you don't hear me say very often. <laughs> um, but that one actually had a pair of cannons. That set the battle for Metropolis. Just as a side note, included Luthor himself in the armor with big cannons, three Luthor Ford Luthor drones, which have similar looking armor to him. A Captain Marvel, a Captain Adam, and then a Superman that is in his Kingdom Come style costume. And for some reason, I don't seem to have my Captain Adam any longer. Odd. Anyway, let's put that to the side. Because Captain Marvel's the bomb, yo. Hi, I'm a bad guy. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything here. I think we've already red flagged that one. Trying to see who did. Ricardo Chavira did the voice of Major Force. Who was in Desperate Housewives? Oh, Desperate Housewives, not Real Housewives. Dead Space, Piranha. Okay, Dead Space. Nothing I really recognize him from. Okay, I'm just going to say this. That probably should have disintegrated by now. And Power Girl for the win. I'm LeVar Burton. I might be able to read a book to him. Major Force, you can fly so high. I'm not going to do the reading rainbow song. What am I thinking? I'm Captain Adam. I eat this stuff for breakfast. So we are getting a heroic moment for Captain Adam. Which is a moment of sacrifice, which he did sacrifice himself in the comic. But it came down, he became the pivotal pivotal force in destroying the meteor that's coming. And I mean, spoilers, yeah, the meteor's going to get destroyed. As I mentioned, I... I assume you've watched this before. But I really think Captain Adam... I don't think he stole the show, but I think this made me look at Captain Adam differently. Because Captain Adam was always kind of a B-level character. He's good when he's hanging out with the Justice League. Not really that interesting on his own. And within the storyline itself, within the, the, the original comics, the six issues, and this one reminded me that, no, this this is something that can be substantial. This can be a really good, full-bodied character. 
and I think that was kind of the surprise of the six, the, you know, Superman, Batman was it would be easy to think of a, you know, team up book between Superman, Batman as a throwaway, just a non-continuity, non-relevant entry into the, you know, then four or five comics a month that Superman was in and the 18 that Batman appeared in. And yet here we had, it was implied with what we just saw, but in the comic, he distinctly, Captain Adam distinctly died and then somehow went to the Wildstorm universe. But, but that's, that's here, neither here nor there, but suddenly you have, you know, a, a known character who is killed. Plus we have the entire removal of president Luthor from office. And suddenly this became the book. It was already hot to begin with because you have Jeff Loeb who had just rocked us with Hush. You had Ed McGinnis who was fantastic. You had Superman. You had Batman. It was already huge. This just rocketed that, and especially with the last page, which is omitted for the movie for logical reasons, in which Luthor is in the sewer and just says, there will be a crisis. We set up Michael Clark Duncan and Bruce Willis, and guess what? We're still screwed. Uh... Lex Luthor screwed up? Say it ain't so. Like a Weezer song. And that really did look like a shot from Armageddon there, just as we fade back to Luthor doing his calculations. I feel like Billy Bob Thornton should be saying something pithy. You're going to do your Roadrunner thrust move. You know, Sherlock Holmes, between cases, in the original material, in the original art, uh, Conan material, would frequently use cocaine and morphine when he wasn't on a case. So Luthor is really just kind of following a literary tradition set out by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And how can you not like Sherlock Holmes when it's written by a guy whose middle name is Conan? Don't backtalk me. You and that cleavage need to be somewhere else. Superman has spoken. Batman nods like Batman has a choice. Well, you know, Clark, I really can't fly. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And this was set up a little bit differently in the comic. This way, it's a complete surprise. But here's my man, Superman and Shazam. You hear Captain Marvel there? That's also Corey Burton, who did Brainiac and he did Gorilla, or Solomon Grundy earlier. And here's the the major question. Well, between super with between Batman and Hawkman, uh, if Hawkman gets a good shot in, Batman could probably be incapacitated, but he's not going to get a shot in. But here's what I'm going to focus on, since this is Superman Forever Radio: Superman versus Captain Marvel. I don't know that I've ever put it right out on the table. I've covered material that talked about it, 
But as far as who would win, because Captain Marvel does have a lot of the strength and, and vulnerability, so on and so forth, that Superman does. Here's Captain Marvel's edge. His powers are magic-based. Which get, makes him effective against Superman. The problem is, we're also dealing with a child within who doesn't have the responsible thinking and the forward thinking that an adult does, especially a seasoned Superman. Gasling. It's a chess move. And we're going to switch enemies. Now, Captain Marvel immediately said, you know, to me that Okay, that's a good matchup for Superman, but Hawkman versus Batman? Not immediate, not one of those, oh, I get that, until you think about it for about 10 seconds. Now, this happened on Snowy Bluffs. Yeah. The figures, they, it's, and actually, Public Enemies, it wasn't called that, but the Superman-Batman line had figures uh, from DC Direct. Now, the Superman-Batman line would actually change. Shazam! But it would change themes based on the book. So, it actually released a Metallo. It had the uh, future Superman. And it had a Hawkman with this big gauntlet like he sees there. And a Power Girl. All in Ed McGinnis style. I remember I got those off of eBay. I got this awesome lot for, I think, $150, but included in the package, in mint package, I mind you, or as close to mint since myth is a mint, the first four series of Superman Batman action figures from DC Direct. Um, it included a bunch of Microman figures, the Turbo Coupe, Superman 2, the board game, just a bevy of stuff, and the box was huge. It arrived fast. I, got, I think it was for... It was under 150, which is insane, because the the action figures themselves retail for about 15 to 20 dollars. I see Amanda Waller's looking at my pecs. Yeah. The president's on kryptonite-laced meth. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't eat. He just watches Smokey the Bandit for 48 hours straight on a continual loop. Not Smokey the Bandit 3. He'll watch 2, but not 3. Because without Burt Reynolds, it's just not the same. Jerry Reed is no Burt Reynolds. Remember that statue of the president I mentioned? That seems pretty appropriate here. <laughs> you didn't see this coming? Uh, it, yep, yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know who I feel sorry or for. You know what I mean, Amanda? Dude, Luthor probably could have nailed Power Girl. Uh-oh. I need to get the... 
Oh, they had a Shaz- uh, Captain Marvel figure. I forgot because I was looking at my Superman Batman shelf, but Captain Marvel has his own shelf. I need to get the version where it is sort of what you're seeing here, where it's Superman in the Captain Marvel costume with the chest piece ripped away so you see the Superman symbol underneath. I'm Batman. I am uh, bare-chested now. Computer voice is also Andrea Romano. Oh, he just drips evil, doesn't he? Clancy Brown is the man. I remember going to see the most recent version of Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. And as soon as Clancy Brown's name appeared on the credits, we all went from, okay, this is going to be good, to, oh, Clancy Brown is here. Because he's awesome. I would just feel ridiculous cosplaying as Hawkman. I'd, I'd barely like to go without my shirt, so... Oh, he said, he said, bitch. I don't know why that surprised me, but I, it's been a while since I rewatched this. So oh, yeah, I don't think anybody ever said that, Lex, but uh, okay, the Luthor figure, wherever he may have gone, that's not good. The Luthor figure from the DC Direct line, since they're going off of McGinnis's designs, is huge. Well, wait a minute, that's not good, because I really don't see him anywhere. Oh, okay. Found him! <laughs> I know you were panicked as far as where my Ed McGinnis-style Lex Luthor figure went, but... McGinnis was no was really good for over the top. Just the size, the proportions were always out of whack, and it worked for him. They've streamlined it for what we're seeing here, but and I don't know that it was an improvement. But how do you? I mean, it's hard to adapt, you know. <laughs> the the Original movies have done really, really well, but if you're taking an art style that is meant for these static panel-by-panel images, and then you are trying to make something sequential as far as movement and animation, it unfortunately does lose something in the translation. Sometimes you gain things in in the translation. Hi, I'm Power Girl. They took out a fairly blatant joke where Power Girl was sent here to distract the boy. (laughs) But there was a great moment where they're like, well, you just need to go distract him. And she just uh, looks at him like, how do I distract him? And looks down at her chest like, oh. And yet we get a, I think this was actually done a little less heavy-handed 
a little bit smoother. A little bit funnier. And Toy Man, played by an actor that when I looked him up on IMDb, I had never seen anything he had been in. But he's a great Calvin Tran. It was in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and The Soup as himself, but that's about it. X-ray goggles. Awkward. But he does have a natural voice for the character. Because he is, you know, he does have a natural accent. Wait, what did we just pass there? Yeah. Okay, the Superman, Batman, Robot. If they hadn't made a joke of it, I would have just rolled my eyes. And yet they they kind of played it humorously. And you have this sort of composite Superman look for it. It's a mech suit. Here's the interesting question. He's firing kryptonite. Are they playing Kara as a Kryptonian or as a sort of <laughs> 210 IQ? Um, are they playing her as a Kryptonian or sort of the pseudo-Atlantean? Oh, look, we don't get that answer. Because it doesn't matter. Oh, you done pissed off Superman. Whoop. I don't think I don't think that this storyline in the comics especially especially in the movies would have had quite the relevance or quite the entertainment value if they hadn't included a good old Superman versus Luthor fisticuff. Because when you're Superman and your your main nemesis is a guy in a business suit, it loses a little something. So I was glad to see Luthor kind of return to the more traditional villain role. I cry myself to sleep at night in my pillow thinking of ways to kill you. Why can't I quit you? Uh, no, there is that. I'm always a little leery when somebody identifies themselves as evil. It makes a a less interesting villain if they just decide, I'm going to do evil for the sake of doing evil. Ooh. I'm the only person smart enough. You couldn't do it, remember, is one of my favorite lines. And now we're beating up kids. He's 13 years old, Lex. You gotta have some limitations, man. 
wouldn't be a very good Superman villain if he wasn't sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, would he, though? As I mentioned in the original comic, it was Captain Adam that stepped up here to go face the meteor, even facing dire choices. I'm glad they did include Captain Adam sacrificing himself in some capacity because, even as I mentioned, even though I, uh, I don't know if I would even call myself a fair weather fan, more of a someone who occasionally forgets that he does have an interest in the character. The sacrifice made a big difference in the comics, and I think it opens that character of Captain Adam up to people to check out. So it it kind of promotes the DC universe as a whole, this extended universe. Did he just make a Christ allegory reference? I think he did. The color change on this is exquisite. It's not something you would see on Saturday morning animation, that's for sure. Because you have the ignition really lighting up the entire structure. Looks incredibly, incredibly cool. And we go to clear CG in the rockets model. Remember when that combining CG with traditional animation was huge when the Spider-Man cartoon of the 90s did it with Spider-Man swinging around. However, looking at it now, it's cheesy. I love the line we just saw. That was my best friend and you just killed him. And that really makes sense to why they did this change in the movie version. Because watching that, suddenly this sacrifice becomes relevant again. And overnight, Batman knows how to fly a Superman-Batman-shaped rocket. That's how he rolls. So Batman's going to fly up into the sky and throw a batarang at the meteor. Oh, I wish... Th- well, it was before the, the how you how it should have ended... But it would have been awesome to have added that one of the weapons is actually to throw a giant batarang. As an in-joke. But of course, I've seen in-jokes based on internet memes work really badly. I'm looking at you, Juggernaut, in X-Men The Last Stand. The flying sequences on this are fantastic. And I'm somebody who thought that the flying in Superman the Animated Series was above the board. This is times 10. Because you got to think with animation, to do something like that, there are maybe... If they're going through the city and you've got three or four buildings, six to seven layers of animation involved with that. Layered on top of each other to give you that perspective. As somebody who has played with flash animation to little success, I can tell you that can be maddening. Because each one of those those layers has to be animated separately. And you think if you're looking at 24 frames a minute, or a, part, a second, and it's a five-second scene, that starts adding up. 
just exponentially. And Batman's going to pull his Bruce Willis Ben Affleck move. I don't care what anybody says. Armageddon was a good movie. For what it was. It was supposed to be a popcorn munching action flick. And that's... I will defend this movie because it did play up the action a little bit. With the with the comic story, there were a lot more talking head scenes. You had dialogue between Captain Adam and and Lex Luthor, which is more what the Supergirl scene or Supergirl Power Girl scene played out. There was a lot of talking and contemplating and good character interaction overall. But to play it up as a, you know, this is what, a little over, I don't think it's quite at 90 minutes, because I think, let me look here, I just realized something, this radio, I just want to share as I'm looking at this, rated PG-13 for action, violence throughout, and a crude comment. Which comment was crude? 67 minutes is how much this runs, but I'm wanting to know exactly which crude comment Took it from PG-13 to... Or PG to PG-13. Consider yourself impeached. Tim Daly may be the only Superman... Or one of the only Superman actors... To pull that off. Oh look, Captain Adam's alive. I don't like that. And I don't know why it was included that Captain Adam came back because his sacrifice was pivotal to the this version of the story as well as, especially in the comic, where he did perish and he got better. But he got better down the road. Now, I wish I, wish I had read some of where he visited, I believe it was the Wildstorm universe, that would make sense. But he took on his... his uh, look of from kingdom come it's funny the first time I watched this I swore I remembered this scene and yet didn't happen at all not at all Because in the end, it was, as I, I don't know if I, I mentioned it a little bit, that Captain Adam went up, faced the meteor, and Superman Batman kind of defended from the ground. So the the robot, I don't think, ever saw space flight. And I, it's funny to say just reading this, but I did a fairly, admittedly, cursory read. Pretty quick read. That's the level of prep I do for my shows. I'll crack these out and read them pretty quick. But I will say that as a comment on the on the six issues that comprise this, is they actually are quick reads. And then I read relatively fast, but these were droplets. So it wasn't really that big of a challenge to to put all of this into one context. They did, you know, as I mentioned, streamline it for not hitting the casual viewer over the head with continuity notes. And yet again, 
we get an appearance from Lois who doesn't have a line. Not a single line. I gotta go to bed at 7am. I go to bed when Wheel of Fortune is coming on. Depends which way you're coming at it. I like the idea that as the sun is coming up, it's late for Batman, early for Superman. One thing they did downplay, or and I don't know how they would have really put it in without um, a Blade Runner-style voiceover, was kind of the the, intera- the the differences between the two characters. Because the comic, and, and as I mentioned, the scene that really started off was at Star Labs, but the comic actually opened with a juxtaposition of their origins from their their point of view. So you kind of saw Batman watching the Waynes get shot down from his point of view and Superman in the rocket coming to, to Earth. Once again, from his point of view, from the baby's point of view. So you get these little baby feet watching space fly by. Hearing this music, I just expect two true freaks. But that is something that it play, they played a little bit with it with as much as they could. I mean, 67 minutes, that's not a lot of time to fit in six issues worth of story. It could have been done, and it probably wouldn't have added that much, but I'll trust Bruce Tim when he says, you know, we have a specific length that works, you know, any longer and the audience loses interest, any shorter and they feel like they didn't get their money's worth. That's fair. And as a podcaster, you know, I do try to think about that with the content that I put out, especially on a weekly basis. You know, how much is too much? Is two hours too long to talk about something? And, you know, you find a sweet spot where, you know, it's doable on a weekly basis. So 40 to 50 minutes is my kind of sweet spot, somewhere in there. Now, of course, doing the, doing a commentary, you're kind of, your length is kind of dictated by the material that you're covering, but... I do wish, kind of coming back to my point, and yes, I will be meandering because that's how I roll, but I do wish we had seen a little bit more of the juxtaposition between the two characters. Um, Kind of a line that I took from Kingdom Come was, you know, Bruce saying, and this is from the, the reprint edition, the collected edition, Bruce saying, well, Clark, you rule by trust, I rule by fear. And that was something Loeb did really well, was play with... How these characters are so dramatically different, yet at the heart, they're really, really the same. They want the same things. They just, they're coming at it from two different directions. And that was something that this storyline really did well. And that this, this book up until Loeb left did well. And there were writers that came on after that. But after this, we kind of had, we had a stopover you know, you did the six issues, you had a stopover with a one-off story, and then we jumped into the story that we're going to be covering, or the animated adaption of the story we're going to be covering next week, which is, well, it's called Superman Batman Apocalypse, the DVD is, the original story would have been called Supergirl, the Supergirl from Krypton. But you know, that just doesn't sell. So there is the end of the credits, which signals that I should be bringing this to a close, but... Uh, Really, really still enjoy Superman Batman Apocalypse quite a bit. Quite a bit. And I still love that Warner Brothers animation logo, and I can't tell you why. And, uh uh-oh, the warning's coming up. Um, I'm going to bid you adieu. Um, Next week, Superman Batman Apocalypse. 
where we try to adapt Jeff Loeb's writing and Michael Turner's art. With some degree of success, some degree of failure. But until then, I just want to thank you for joining me for Superman Forever Goes to the Movies Month. And until next time, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a NatWorld production. You can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com, and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio, and email the show at mail at supermanforever.com, David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. 